I'm so glad you're here on Thanksgiving weekend. I hope and trust you had a great time with family and people around your table. We're going to continue on that thought of Thanksgiving. And the big idea for today is not a typo. I, you wouldn't believe how many times you got to type this into Word and PowerPoint and it won't let you, it won't let you put it out there. Uh, but the, the big idea is thanks living. Everybody say thanks living. That's the idea. It's not just Thanksgiving. We, we are thankful, and I'm glad we do it every year. Uh, you might not know this, but we always put the tree up here at the church, but we have a mini tree in our house that we put our Thanksgiving leaves on, our Thanksgiving tree. And uh, we, we love that we take a day and we just give thanks for all of our blessings. But as believers, truly and honestly, it should be a life of thanks living. It's a life of thanks living. It's an attitude thing, really. And how is your A-double-T-I-T-U-D-E, right? I mean, how you doing with your attitude today? If you find that your attitude is just miserable, dark, and dreary, no wives, stop putting elbows in your husband. Don't do that. Nobody's pointing out anybody else today. We're going to talk about you, right? Uh, if your attitude stinks, then something's wrong. Uh, you might not understand who you are, who he is that saved you. And uh, honestly, when people ask me that question, how are you today? I always say, better than I deserve. And I love that because the response I always get, they always try to convince me I deserve better. And I'm like, no, I don't. Everything that's good in life, I don't deserve that, but it was freely given to me. And I am so blessed. There's a passage in scripture uh, that I'm going to have Roger Sovis, one of our elders, come and just do a scripture reading, something we don't usually do, but a traditional, honest-to-goodness scripture reading out loud. And it's from a selection of First Corinthians, First Chronicles 16. And this is a time when King David, uh, I believe the uh, uh, Ark of the Covenant had been taken, you know, when they get conquered, they take off of the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant back in the Old Testament was the presence of God. It symbolized his presence. And so when they got defeated and they took off with the Ark of the Covenant, the people felt like God was no longer with them. And so when they received the Ark back, there was much rejoicing. And this is King David. Go ahead and come on up, Roger. King David's words after the Ark was brought back to Israel. I'm sorry. Yeah, there you go. I am set. Thanks. (laughs) All right. First Chronicles. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known the deeds among the prophets, the peoples. Sorry. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wonderful works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord 
the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Say also, save us, O God of our salvation, and gather and deliver us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Roger. It's fascinating how excited David is and telling the people, rejoice, the Lord's presence is here. And we don't have to ever worry about that anymore. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not reside inside of anybody. That didn't happen until after Christ died and rose again. And, and then the, the Holy Spirit was given to the church. Before then, God's Spirit would only rest on a leader. And that's why you have leaders like Saul in this Bible. The Lord's presence rested on him, but then it was removed from him. And that would be awful. Can you imagine being the king of a whole nation and then the only chance you've got of being a good leader is removed? God removes himself from you and then you're shot. And he went nuts. He actually went crazy. That never can happen to us now. David was so excited because the presence of the Lord would come back to the. But now we have inside of you the Holy Spirit of God. You're never without that. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing that we can rejoice. To hear the old saints rejoice for something that we don't even have to be concerned about is such a blessing. Today I want to talk about Thanksgiving, and I found this other great video that I'm going to play for you right now. My heart grows in thanks as I gather around a bountiful table with friends and family that I love. We hold each other's hands, we bow our heads in thanks, but even as I pray in gratitude, I know Thanksgiving means more. It means more than one day of stopping the busyness to acknowledge the goodness. It means more than reaching out to those I love and then sending them on their way. It means more than bringing a platter of food, bringing a harvest bouquet, or boxing up old coats for the clothing drive. Thanksgiving means my heart opens from the moment my eyes do. It means my hand gives out so much of what comes in, and my time is not mine to hoard, neither are my gifts. See, Thanksgiving means more than one day a year, more than one prayer at church, more than one selfless act, more than one generous handout. Thanksgiving always means more, and the God of giving who fills us up whenever we ask, allows more to flow out as mighty rivers of gratitude and giving all year long. Thank you, Lord, that thanksgiving means more. It should mean more. More to us. 
as believers today. And I know you just gathered at your tables and probably held hands and said a prayer, and, and we've just come off of that. But I just want to remind us as believers that it, it should mean so much more to us, more than just a momentary thing. So let's pray together today. Would you pray this prayer with me? You don't have to say it out loud, but if you say, God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God. God, if, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. And God, my prayer is that you'd be glorified, that everyone hearing this message would be edified and that Satan would be horrified. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So it's thanksgiving. It's more than thanksgiving. It's all about thanksgiving. And I've chose uh, to use one passage of Scripture. If you'd meet me in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. It's in the New Testament. So if you get to Matthew, hang a hard right and keep going to the book of Philippians. There are Bibles underneath some of the seats, or you can use your phone. Uh, but Philippians 2, 14 through 18. I'm going to read it twice. I'm going to read it once in the NIV, and then I'm going to read it in a different translation I really found appealing. So let me read it first in the uh, NIV this morning. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. It's a great passage, and I love what Paul does here. He just, he stops preaching and goes to meddling. I mean, let's just be honest. The first words are very hard. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. He's meddling now. It's one thing to be preaching, but it's another thing to get in our, right in our grill and say, do everything without grumbling and complaining. I want to read it for you in the message. We don't usually use that very often, but every once in a while I find it very intriguing. Philippians 2, 14 to 18. Do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering. No second guessing allowed. Go out into the world uncorrupted. A breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night so that I'll have good cause to be proud of you on the day that Christ returns. You'll be living proof that I didn't go to all this work for nothing. Even if I'm executed here and now, I'll rejoice in being an element in the offering of your faith that you make on Christ's altar, a part of your rejoicing. But turnabout's fair play. You must join me in my rejoicing. Whatever you do, don't feel sorry for me. Every once in a while, I loved the message. I just love the way that's put together there. The point of this message this morning is, is kind of the opposite of the big idea. The big idea is thanksgiving. The opposite of thanksgiving is griping, moaning, complaining. And I'm going to be honest with you. Christians get a bad rap for being complainers, murmurers. And we have everything to be thankful for. And I'm just going to tell you, it's a bad look on us to claim to be recipients of salvation and of the living God and walk around in this world miserable and moping. I mean, Alec asked, can we have fun in church? 
You should never have to ask that. We're the happiest people on the planet. You should never ask, can we dance? We better be dancing. We're people of the Savior, the risen King. We should be the happiest people on the planet, even when things are hard and stink. We above all people have something to look forward to. We of all people have something that, that the rest of the world might not have, even when it's bad. We have God with us, the hope of glory. And so he goes to meddling, telling us, do everything without grumbling and arguing. He gets real. And I love that he didn't say, try. It would have been a lot easier message to preach if he said, try to do everything without grumbling and arguing. No, he says, do everything without grumbling. And then he gives kind of a three-part stage for believers. Number one, it blameless. The word blameless there means moral integrity. So we as believers, we claim to have God in our lives, have been forgiven. We must be blameless. We've got to live an upright life. So, so friends, Christians can't only not be grumbling and complaining and moping, but we also have got to be upright. <laughs> innocent is the next word. Blameless and innocent blameless is moral integrity. Innocent means uh, not two-faced. Not two-faced. So we can't just act innocent on Sunday and then live like something else Monday through Saturday. You can't do that. Or the world will see that. They'll pick up on that. So you gotta be blameless, morally upright, and then not two-faced. You're innocent. They have nothing to accuse you of, right? The Bible often talks about that in believers. And the third one is above reproach. Blameless, innocent, and above reproach is the idea that Paul's getting across here. The type of a person who, who is thanks living is not moping and griping and complaining, not arguing. It, it, that type of a person is blameless, innocent, and above reproach. Above reproach means the combination of blameless and innocent. If you are running around in this world and you're blameless and you're innocent, you're above reproach. In other words, they shouldn't even come and accuse you because they know better. Do you know somebody like that? I remember we had a bad spell at our church in Battle Creek and we had, we had hired a person to come in and he was a wonderful man, but he couldn't do the job we hired him for. And uh, God bless him. Pastor Spencer is the nicest man who ever lived. And he, he would not fire him <laughs> and he would not... We basically changed his job to the care pastor role, which the care pastor role is uh, the person that goes hands out candy and flowers to everybody. And so, of course, everybody loved him because his whole job was to give you nice things and everybody loved him because he was a very kind man, but we still didn't have the position we needed to fill for seven years. That went on. Finally, it came time where we, we had to move forward and we had a big church meeting and Pastor Spencer stood up front and he tried to explain. But I'm telling you, Pastor Spencer would rather take a beating than to say anything bad about anybody. I'll never forget standing in the back of the church watching this pastor up front trying to explain that we were going to move on. We were blessed to have this man for seven years, but he, he's going to move on now. And, uh, you know, we're going to try to find somebody to fill the role that is needed. And all of a sudden it turned ugly. Uh, it was a Baptist church and Baptists fight for fun, so... Uh, so as soon as they could, man, people started standing up and, and they started yelling and screaming. And, and, and then somebody stood up and said, 
you're a liar at my pastor. And I was devastated. It felt like somebody had punched me in the face to hear somebody say those words about a man who would never lie. And the fact that that man had been employed for seven years was because of this man was so gracious and so loving. And now they'd turned on him and started accusing him. If there was ever a man who was innocent and blameless and above reproach, it was Brian Spencer, and yet he took his lumps. Living as a child of God must affect my attitude and my behavior. We're, we're different, so we must act different. In Exodus 15 through 17, we heard a little bit of the story and song today. The people of Israel, they were in slavery in Egypt. And God came and, and not only got them freed from slavery, remember the plagues and remember the Passover, but he spared the children of Israel, the firstborn male of every family. He spared them. And then, and then just on the heels of getting them free, he saves them again at the Red Sea and he parts the waters for them and they walk on dry land. And then not only that, the water caves back in and, and, and it kills the armies that are trying to kill. And I remember, I remember you watch those specials on TV and they talk about how this worked out and they were saying, uh, you know, that, that the Reed Sea, it wasn't the Red Sea, it was a misspelling. The Reed Sea is only like three inches deep. So God just parted three inches of water. And, and I love somebody responded to that. What a miracle! What a miracle. They're like, well, no, really, it was just three inches. Yeah, but God took three inches of water and drowned a whole army. <laughs> I hate it when people try to explain away miracles. I, I believe that God parted waters, mighty waters, and that the people walked through on dry land, and then they crushed back in. The story is incredible. That's what God does for his children. So our attitude and behavior should be different. Let me tell you. Days after all this happened, the people are, are wandering in the wilderness and they start complaining about not having water. There's no water to drink. Hey, Moses, there's no water to drink. We want water. Exodus 15, 22. What does God do? He provides water. Exodus 16. We don't have food. We need food to eat. There's not been a Chick-fil-A. We went by that one, but it was Sunday. So there's no food. Just a little, no water. God gave him water. No food. God provides manna, bread from heaven to come down. Days later, but we want meat. Manna is just bread. We need meat. So God provides them quail. Then again, we don't have any water again. So God gives them water again. And you know what they do? In Exodus 15, 17, 16, the people grumbled against Moses, their leader. And God was offended because when they grumbled against Moses, they were literally grumbling against God. God knew that when they were complaining about Moses, their leader, they were actually complaining that God wasn't doing his part. He had freed them from slavery. He had saved their lives. He provided water, then manna, then meat, then more water. And the people grumbled, grumbled, grumbled. Thanks living means living as a child of God. My attitude and behavior are just different. God's children behave poorly when they forgot who their father was. Friends, let's never forget who our God is. Even in bad times, let's remember who our God is and that he provides. He did it before, he'll do it again. 
Let's remember that when situations aren't what we want them to be. He did it before. He'll do it again. The whole Bible is there to remind us that our God saves and our God is with us. So our attitudes and behavior must be different. Number two, my testimony as a child of God must not be tarnished by grumbling and disputing. It's a bad look on us as Christians when we're complaining. I, I've had friends who were waiters and waitresses in restaurants, and again, I share this with you because it really bothers me, but they hate working on Sundays because the Christian crowd comes to the restaurants. And they waiters and waitresses say the worst day of the week is Sunday because Christians come in, they complain about everything, they complain about the food, they complain about the service, they complain about the wait, and then they don't tip. And so you know what? There's a whole people out there that hate Christians simply because our attitudes and behaviors. Don't do that. I, I, I've been, I know I've, this, this message, I've you've given this point before and I've had so many complaints from Christians like, yeah, but tipping is an option and tipping as if it's good, sir, and tipping as if, and, fine. Just don't be a jerk. Try that. Let's, let's not be rude. Let's not be mean. Let's not be arrogant. Let's be patient, loving, and kind. Let's try that. And then you'll, you'll find at some point, if you're living a life of, of gratitude, a life of thanks living, you, you actually enjoy tipping well. It's actually fun to give somebody they don't deserve or, or something that they didn't think they would get. It's actually fun to do that. Our testimony is out there for everyone to see. This, this whole idea of grumbling and arguing, it's a really interesting Greek word, by the way. I don't do this all the time, but uh, it's, it's a word in the New Testament in Greek called amoma. Amoma. And in Greek, when you put A in front of something, it, it negates it. So ah, against whatever it is. So moma, who's momas? Momas was a Greek griping God. They had a God who all he did was gripe and complain. The actual word they use is carping. I don't, I've never used that word before. Anybody in here ever heard the word carping? I've never heard that before. I guess what well, carps are bottom feeders, so it makes sense to me. But he was a carping, griping, complaining God. And he was known for not doing anything on his own, but complaining about everything about him and around him. He complained about everybody and everything, but he did nothing. And so Paul uses this illustration of this Greek miserable God, and he says, Christians, don't be a momus. Don't be a momus. Ah, moma. Ah, moma. First Timothy 2 verse 8 says this, Therefore I want men everywhere to pray and lift up holy hands without anger and disputing. Obviously Paul understood there was a problem. Uh, Christians complain a lot. <laughs> Uh, even though they've been given so much, they are discontented. And we can't be discontented people. We can't be. Now, I'm not saying, when he says don't dispute, that doesn't mean you can't bring up something. I wanted to say this because somebody's going to hear this and think, I'm just trying to get away with something. I'm not. Dispute means to challenge in a selfish rather than submissive way. It means asserting your authority in attempt to resist God and the leaders he appointed. Can you go and, and, and respectfully disagree? Yes. I'm not telling you you guys can't ever disagree with me. I always tell you you can disagree with me. And I always tell you, I know I'm wrong. I've got a wife and three kids and now a dog. They all think I'm wrong. I, I live with it. I can live with it. You can come and tell me, Pastor, I think you're wrong about that. That's okay. As long as you do it with respect and love and we can disagree in love and respect. I mean, you, you should always feel free to come and tell me 
something that you're not happy about, but we ought to both be able to walk away, right, in love. And you should know I'm probably not going to change whatever it was I did. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being honest with you, because by the time a decision has been made, we've, we've poured over for two months as elders, haven't we, Roger? Two months probably, thinking about it, not making a decision so we can go away and pray. Then come back again. And so when you come to me and say, I don't like that, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm sorry you don't like that. But I'm not going to change it. It is the decision that was made. And maybe you, maybe you have reason to not like it, but that should be okay, right? That's what Paul's saying. Do everything without disputing. It should never get ugly like the guy standing up and pointing a finger at my pastor and saying, you're a liar. That's, that's uncalled for. That's undignified. And it's not us. We're above that. But it doesn't mean you can't come and, and talk. Please never feel like that. You can come and say, Pastor, I'm not sure about this or why we're doing this or why you made this decision. I'll give you my best answer and then we're gonna move forward. But we should be able to do that in love. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. And then finally, I must shine the light of Jesus into a very dark world. Here's the so that. Everybody say so that. This whole thing is so that we can shine bright in a dark world. The world's a dark and miserable place. It needs some Christians who are bright and salty, amen? And so that's what God tells us. First John 1 and 9, I'm going to read more than 1 and 9. You leave 9 up on the screen, but I'm going to read back a little bit to verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, John. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light to get life to everyone was coming into the world, Jesus. Amen? Jesus is the light of the world. And we're to shine like stars. Now, I'm gonna get this wrong. Do stars shine or they just reflect? What reflects? The moon reflects, right? Stars actually like the sun, right? So they do shine. So we're actually more like the moon than we are stars because we reflect the light of Christ. You're not your own little light, right? Don't you think you got your own burning source, right? You got the Holy Spirit in you, but really we're shining back the light into a dark world. That's how I believe it's true. That's our, our whole purpose in living. That's the reason why Jesus hasn't come back for us yet. You're like, oh, I just want to go to heaven. Ah. Well, we got a job to do. He put us here to be light of the world so the dark world would have light. And so we're, we're supposed to be your shining light back on the world. And I told you this illustration before, but that's why it's so sad when you drive by Menards. Drive by Menards at night. What's on the right-hand side of the store? The light section. Can you imagine your whole purpose was to be a light bulb? And then they put you in the section of light at Menards and you're one of a million light bulbs in one section and there's never any darkness. We're not like the light section at Menards. When you drive by Menards on 69, you're going by Menards, you should look over and say, aw, those poor bulbs. I'm gonna take one home. I'm gonna set it free and put it out in a dark place. Because that's what we do as churches. The Menards light section is just like the church. We come and get all bright together when we're actually supposed to be out into a dark world because the darkness has to flee. Ever realize that about light? Go home, find one light bulb in a dark place, turn it on, turn it off, turn it on, turn it off. When you turn it on, see how long it takes for darkness to lose. Darkness flees when light appears. That's why you look at the light section of Menards, you find that little light bulb, you just gotta walk in there and tell the manager, set that one free. I want that one to go to the darkness where he can be a light 
instead of just shining with all the other bulbs. And you've got to stop just shining where the bulbs are at. Right? Some of you get around the other bulbs and you all start flickering. That's not good. All right? We've got to get away from the other bulbs because sometimes they make you flicker. Right? We had a little flicker going on. What are these things? Jim Bongiorno came to me yesterday with one of the little bulbs in his hand. He goes, PD, do you got one of these? I'm like, I don't know. And he says, well, if I put this in, the whole tree goes, so let's find one. We can't have this flickering happening. All the bulbs are affected by one flicker, one flickering bulb. That's what happens when we only are light inside the store. We're not called to be the light inside the store. We're called to be a light into a dark world. And when we live a life that's not murmuring and complaining and arguing and bickering and disputing, and we decide that we're going to love, accept, and live by grace, right? Grace give grace graciously to everyone around you, then you know what? Then we're starting to shine. The world will see that. The world has to see that. Oh, no, don't do that. Darkness. Okay. Matthew 5. Let me read this and wrap it up. Matthew 5, 13, 16. My favorite passage talks about this. You, Christian, you believer, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. That's a good illustration. I'll stop right there for a second. Salt in the ancient world was very important, uh, more than we have it now. Um, And it's a really weird illustration. He talks about salt losing its saltiness. I don't even know if that's possible. Chemically, is that possible? It's not even chemically possible. But if the salt loses its salt, it's unthinkable, right, Jeff? How could salt stop being salty? But he's saying if if salt loses, how can it be made salty again? It's not going to fulfill its purpose. You might as well just throw it out. Why? Because they used to not have roads like we do. The first paved road in America was Woodward Avenue, right? Remember? Woo, yay for us. And so we've got paved roads. They didn't have paved roads. And so in order to keep the paved, the roads down, they would take salt and they would throw it on this and it would kill everything. So that was the path, right? They used salt to walk on. But they also used salt for important things. And I know we read a passage like this and we think, oh, Jesus is, he's a seasoning for the world. We're like little salt shakers and we're just going to season the world. The the world does not need a little Jesus seasoning, right? It needs a whole new recipe. So don't use that as the illustration. The salt that they're talking about is a salt that they used to preserve meat. See, salt, they didn't have refrigeration. And so in order to save their meat, they would roll it in salt, coat it in salt. Salt was a preservative. Guess what you and I have been sent here to do? And you can't be not salty. You can't be worthless salt. You gotta be salt that actually preserves. We're here to save the world, people. This world is dying without us. As believers, we're, we're, we're gonna shine that light on them and we're the salt that'll save them. We're, we're gonna preserve them, right? And hopefully they'll come to salvation because we're salty. We as believers ought to be salty believers, not in the wrong way, the right way. Verse 14, you're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We're light. The idea here is we're supposed to be bright and salty. Bright and salty believers. You can't do that when you're running around grumbling and complaining and not thanks living. But if you live a life of thanks living, and you're grateful for the gods you have and the Christians, believers, brothers and sisters around you, and you're kind and gracious in the world we live in, you're gonna shine like the stars. You'll stick out like a sore thumb. Kindness today. 
stands out. (laughs) Generosity today stands out. And we're the bright and salty ones. Remember that old song? I love that. This little light of mine, I'm going to let... Get your lights up. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it... Remember? (gasps) Don't let Satan it out. I always love that song. I love that song to this day, but you got to know, it's really one of the most pathetic Christian songs we have. I mean, what are, what are we thinking? This is not, the song, I get the point of the song, but the song doesn't reflect what this is saying. This, this passage is telling us a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And you don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but you let it shine. And this, this song actually, when you think about it, is really pathetic. This widow white of mine. I'm all by myself, but I'll let it shine. This pathetic little light of mine. I'm going to wet it shine. Don't let Satan fall. I mean, it's kind of a miserable song. I, I really believe, I, I really wanted to do this. And there's, there was a group that actually heard me do this and they made t-shirts about this. I think it, it shouldn't be this little light of mine. Because that really gives the idea of all alone. I'm just all alone. And it's just, no, no, no. Really, we should be singing, this blazing fire of ours, we're going to burn it down. I mean, it's, the song is like a fire. We're, you cannot hide it. You can't hide this thing. It's easy to see all over the world when a Christian person is living the light, right? And so, not, not to pick on the song. Please don't tell the, the author of, that I said that. I, I love them. God bless them. But it's pathetic. We can do better than this widow white of mine. Really, let's be bright and salty. And how do we do that? Well, we do that by living a life of thanks living. Not grumbling and complaining. Am I saying you don't have anything to be upset about? You probably do. We all do. But what's better? A person that goes through things that aren't so great and can still be happy and smile and gracious and kind? Or just always being a MoMA? When you leave today, don't be a MoMA. Amoma. Amoma. Go against that. Be bright. Be salty. Let's thanks living. Let me have the team come back. I asked them to come back and do that song, Gratitude. What a great song to sing. Hopefully you have gratitude. And our tree is a little bit still kind of like sad. Maybe during gratitude you might think of one thing you could write on a leaf and put it up on that tree today. Do you have something that you can be thankful for today? Hopefully all of you do. Let's be thankful. And let's practice thanks living instead of a moment right? Let's do that. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul reminding us as believers that we're not to be like moments, complaining about everything and doing nothing. No, we're supposed to be bright and salty, effective Christians. God, it's a dark world. It's a dark world of decay. So salt and light really means something. In this dark world of decay, God, help us to be preserving and bright, kind and loving, generous and gracious. Help us to to give more than we receive and be grateful for all. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.